from the Alexa in your kitchen to the smart TV in the bedroom. You've got smart devices peppered all over the house. So wouldn't it make sense to place the best tech in every part of your home? The Numi 2.0 is Kohler's most advanced toilet to date, with a sculptural design that elevates it beyond a household object. With advanced technology to bring you the finest in personal comfort and cleansing, it offers personalized setting, from ambient colored lighting and built-in audio speaker system to a heated seat with hands-free opening and closing. It's more than a toilet. It's a work of art. Learn more at Kohler.com. Support for this episode comes from Viator. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why Viator has over 300,000 bookable experiences. So there's always something for everyone. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews. So you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. I quit the Facebook when it was Harvard only. I, yeah. I quit the Facebook when it was college only. I've, I've quit Facebook <laughs> so many times. Welcome to another episode of the Weeds on the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Matthew Iglesias, here with Jared Lind and with Jane Koston. And we, we wanted to talk today about Facebook, a company that is frequently in the news and that has gotten more in the news lately. There was a big New York Times expose, I guess, on the company's real reaction to Russian hacking and interference and other or more to the scandals point, over the summer. It's reaction to the increased public scrutiny that comes with. <laughs> yes. Um, I would say like the most striking revelation in the article is at one point they uh, work with Republican Party operative Tim Miller to orchestrate a smear campaign that their critics are being funded by George Soros, which is not like an unfamiliar political tactic in the known universe. But for a company that has often tried to sort of uh, paint a, a more liberal image is striking. Kudos to the five authors of the New York Times article for knowing to juxtapose these two things in the same paragraph, that while Facebook was reaching out to this Apo research firm to, you know, talk about the Soros links of its critics. It was simultaneously reaching out to, you know, allies and civil rights groups to paint criticism of the company as anti-Semitic. Yes. Which is, it's an interesting way to diversify your portfolio of attacks. Um, but it's, It shows real chutzpah, I yeah, will it's, say. It's, it's the, yes, it is that a is lot of That is maximum level chutzpah. But it's also just incredibly illustrative. And I think that this is why, you know, this article has kind of seized the imagination of so many of us, not just because Facebook is an incredibly important company, but because it's an incredibly important company that has shown no sign of realizing just how influential it has been in shaping the national political discourse and using its power to kind of put forward the idea that your critics are illegitimate because they're funded by George Soros while they're trying to struggle with phenomena on which, you know, their platform is being used to put forward all of these anti-Semitic George Soros conspiracies. 
it's a very good illustration of how they simultaneously do understand the power that these kind of, you know, conspiracies and muddying the waters have and fail to understand the moral responsibility that comes with that. And getting to that point, among the claims that was in the New York Times piece is that Facebook basically tried to downplay the significance of any Russian activity taking place on Facebook prior to the 2016 election. And one of those instances is that uh, Sheryl Sandberg, who is the chief operating officer of Facebook and perhaps best known as the author of Lean In, about which I have many thoughts. Sorry. Anyway, um, basically that she attempted to rein in then security chief Alex Stamos and a white paper that was released based on his internal investigation didn't include the word Russia. And they just basically kept downplaying Russian involvement with kind of interference via Facebook. And there's a there's a New York Times op-ed today. I think it's uh, Michelle Goldberg who wrote about how Facebook may in some way be responsible for the election of Donald Trump, which I think is a little overstating this. And I think that we can have this conversation just by talking about Facebook itself and not getting involved in rehashing mm-hmm. how the 2016 election happened, because, you know, I think it had more to do with Wisconsin than Michigan and, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, Milwaukee. But I think that talking about Facebook, and I think we were talking about this a little bit before the show, Matt and I, but it's been interesting to see a company that started out as the Facebook and was basically a means by which Harvard students could hang out with and attempt to copulate with other Harvard students, attempt to turn into this overarching entity that could be everything to everyone. And Sandberg, uh, she did an interview with CBS News last night, and she basically, and I've heard this from Zuckerberg also, uses the excuse that, you know, if you're going to have a platform that billions of people use, you're going to see all the ugliness and all the beauty. And I think we were not focused enough on preventing some of the bad things that can happen on Facebook. But it is interesting to see, and we've seen this with Google and other companies that come in with this very utopian vision that Facebook, I remember, you know, when they stopped requiring a college email and everyone could be on it and has it does have billions of people on it. And it was going to be, you know, your news source and how you found out everything. I remember they started doing ads earlier this year that was basically like, you know, things went wrong. but This is still where you can find out that your friends got engaged and you can see people coming together and all these wonderful things can happen. And but they still don't get that inherently that leads to more problems. Well, so here's what I think is interesting about this Times article to me. I think Facebook has often been discussed in these kind of terms of they don't get this, they don't understand this, they don't understand whatever. To me, what is revealed in this article, and I I like it because it confirms my priors, is that they understand this all much better than people give them credit for, that they really understand what's going on and they don't care. That like they were literally handed by their chief security officer a memo about what went on. They read the memo. They understood the memo's contents and then they decided they did not want the public to know the contents of the memo, right? That like I remember when Mark Zuckerberg was in trouble for hacking into dorm room computer servers to get people's ID card photos to make face smash, right? 
and he was caught and he got in trouble and he apologized. And it was this kind of thing where it was like, okay, like he was this smart guy with his computer idea and he was impatient and he didn't really think about how it was going to make people feel. Because you could see from his point of view, it's like, it's not like your ID photos were like really private. You know, right. in like a real they were sense. literally printed out and but, distributed but to the freshman class felt, in a book called the Facebook. But people felt invaded. You could see it that way. This was a it was a kind of a misunderstanding. You know what I mean? But like, there was this crazy story when Brett Kavanaugh's confirmation hearings were happening, and like Facebook decided at some point that they wanted to hire a high-powered Republican Party operative to be their top lobbyist. So they hired a high-powered Republican Party operative to be their top lobbyist. Then when Brett Kavanaugh, a former high-powered Republican Party operative, was in a bit of controversy, Facebook's top lobbyist went to the Congress to support his friend and political ally, Brett Kavanaugh. And then there was this weird Michigas where they were like, oh, he's doing that in his personal capacity because their staff, I guess, is like mostly Democrats, right? And they were mad. And so they were like, oh, yeah, Joel didn't really mean that. And then he hosted Brett Kavanaugh's official victory party. And again, there is literally nothing wrong with an evil company run by evil billionaires hiring Republican Party lobbyists to help push an evil billionaire agenda. It happens all the time. There is nothing more banal in corporate America than evil companies run by evil billionaires trying to help get billionaire-friendly judges on the bench. Like, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce enthusiastically backed Brett Kavanaugh. So, like, why shouldn't Facebook, right? But it's just to say, like, it's not a little kid. Right. In a way, it is dorm room. You know what I mean? Like, they're not idiots. They're actually super smart. Like, Mark Zuckerberg and Sheryl Sandberg, they're smarter than me. They're smarter than you who's out here listening. They know what they're doing. (laughs) And, like, what they are doing is getting fucking rich. Well, like, I think that's what's going on here. I think that that's an amazing point, and I, I totally agree with you, and I backtrack on my prior point because I'm allowed to be wrong uh-huh. in public. And so it, it was interesting. There was a follow-up article in the New York Times today called No Morals, Advertisers React to Facebook Report. And one of the quotes is from the chief growth officer for the publicist group, one of the world's biggest ad companies. And it says, now we know Facebook will do whatever it takes to make money. They have absolutely no morals, which is – Hilarious. Funny from the ad group, yes. Yeah, in, in a very <laughs> specific way. <laughs> so I will stand up for the uh, incompetence over malice side here. All right, let's do um, it. Not, and I don't, I don't know that I actually disagree all that strongly with anything specific that you've said, Matt. I just think that Facebook has continued to be in the position of moving fast and breaking things and not realizing what it's broken until afterwards. At a certain point, you do have a an intellectual responsibility to understand, oh, okay, we've been a company for 15 years or so. You know, we've been a major internet platform for at least a decade. At a certain point, maybe we should have kind of stepped back and thought about how can we figure out what's going to happen before it actually happens. Like, cards on the table, and I this comes up whenever we talk about Facebook on here, but uh, everybody in this room has very personal, professional experience with Facebook over the last couple of years, saying it was going to do a thing and then not understanding the consequences of it and then changing it as far as the placement of news stories in its 
newsfeed algorithm is concerned, like that's been a thing that we as a media company have had to deal with the repercussions of, as has the entire media industry. So it's not exactly like, you know, we are purely dispassionate here. Right. But at the same time, it means that we understand very well that when Facebook says it's going to do something and puts up this, you know, highfalutin language about how it's going to keep the world informed and then doesn't think through the consequences of that and ends up backtracking, that is a thing that hurts real people. Right. <laughs> and I, maybe somebody should have thought about I, I that. I just mean to say that it's not as if I make this point about Donald Trump sometimes because, like, he gets compared to a toddler a lot. And, like, I'm the parent of a toddler. And, like, the thing about toddlers is that they are genuinely out of control. Whereas, like, (laughs) Donald Trump sometimes will, like, go dark on Twitter for a period of days, right? Like, he often acts out of control, Right. right? But, like, toddlers cannot do that. They don't hold it together for a week because they really thought about it and it's really important to do it. Like, they just fly off the handle every so often. By the same token, I mean, I remember when Zuckerberg was on our uh, colleague Ezra Klein's podcast. And that was part of like a big Mark Zuckerberg PR push Mm -hmm. around one of these other controversies. So it's not like Facebook is incapable of doing careful advanced planning around things. And they sometimes do it, right? So the fact that they don't do it is not the sign of an inherently impulsive beast. You know what I mean? It is a choice to be very careful about Mark Zuckerberg's public image, right? In which like Mark Zuckerberg never just says to people when people are like, blah, 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 fake news. He never just says to you like, fuck you, I'm getting money. You know what I mean? And I sympathize with him to some extent, right? Because it's like if you came to the CEO of, you know, the people who make my beloved Sour Patch Kids and you were like, (laughs) hey, all this candy, like it's not really healthy for people. Like you're contributing to a lot of public health problems and blah, 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 blah. They wouldn't be like, no, actually, like candy, we're working hard on it all the time. Like our candy, we're going to fortify it with broccoli. Like I I don't know what they would say. In fact, we invented Sour Patch Kids so that kids could get used to the taste of fruit and associate it with like tasty things. Not to say that there's no bullshit in the candy industry, but, like, to an extent, it's like the expectation is, look, we make this stuff. People like to eat it. So, like, buzz off, right? People like Facebook, clearly, right? And Facebook makes a lot of money, clearly. And that's how Facebook likes it. But they they insist on creating this very high-minded public image. And I think we should talk about why that is later, like why they are so much more invested in a perception of high-mindedness than than most big companies are. And what you're seeing here is that like they don't deserve that, right? right? That like when there are big problems that involve Facebook but are not necessarily a big problem for Facebook, they just don't really care. Now I'm just curious, why is that? Why are they so invested in the highfalutin narrative? I think that the issue is fundamentally that these technology companies are in a kind of a, a war for talent, right? And people with the kind of skills that Facebook needs, but not just Facebook, but also Google, also Amazon, also Apple, but also a million startups are in very high demand. And of course, you can pay them money and they 
they do get paid well and you can treat them nicely with snacks in the cafeteria and stuff like that. And they and they do get treated well. But you want people at your company who feel an intrinsic motivation. You, do, you don't want to just overbid, right? Like we're going to give you $2 million and you're going to come in and be surly. You want enthusiasts, right? And so they want people to believe that their company's mission mm-hmm. is valuable. And you see this from lots and lots of different Silicon Valley companies. And I think it just objectively is less true of Facebook than of some of their competitors. That, like, to me, like, that's their essential problem, that, like, there are regulatory issues with Google. I think there are some, like, practical questions about how YouTube works. But, but, like, I don't think anybody can deny that, like, Google web search is a very useful thing that has made lots of people's lives better, like, all the time in a million ways. And it tells us what time the Super Bowl is. It tells you everything. You know what I mean? It's like if you want to know something, like you can Google it and like it's a miraculous. Whereas like it is true that I rely on Facebook to remind me when my aunt's birthday is. But it is not true that before Facebook, people did not have that information. So something I want to get into because I, I was thinking actually about your Sour Patch Kids example. Yes. Because if you're, Love a, the kids. If you're a typical company, you – and let's say, Matt, we, we operate in a world in which you went out and you purchased Sour Patch Kids. You essentially gave the creators of Sour Patch Kids money – and they gave you Sour Patch Kids. And so they would call the transaction very successful. You got what you wanted and they got what they wanted. Yes. But with Facebook, I remember watching something recently where they were talking about like, oh, well, Facebook is free. And I'm like, no, it's not because technically you are what they're selling. Just last year, they made roughly uh, $40 billion. And basically what that is is you are the product. They sell you to advertisers who then will follow you around for the rest of your life on every single platform that you use. And since Facebook owns Instagram, for example, which you know they will eventually destroy, but so far, not yet. You are the product. You did not give Facebook $10 and they did not give you photographs of that dude you went to high school with sweating. You paid nothing, but advertisers are getting paid off of you. So I think that the high-mindedness is really, I think, an attempt to assuage the idea that you're basically – giving of yourselves for no apparent reason. You know, they really want you to think of this as a resource. They want you to think of this as a means, you know, you can remember things and learn about things, but you could have done that in a way that maybe you could have actually paid money for and then had like a private transaction with some of the same rules of other private transactions. If you give your money to Sour Patch Kids, in general, Sour Patch Kids will not then save your Sour Patch Kid purchasing data and sell it to the people who make hot tamales or Mike and Ike's. And so it's a very different customer relationship. And it's one that I think it has to be couched in this high mindedness and this all, you know, we're all here together, even while Facebook is helping to foment a genocide uh, of the Rohingya. And like there's been all of these other instances around the world in which Facebook has been responsible for awful things happening because of this relationship, because it is not a one to one consumer relationship. You are the consumed. You are not the consumer. I, I was so hoping to, for you to just like go the extra six inches here and point out explicitly that we are the Sour Patch Kids of yes. the internet. Yes. But yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's 
Right. But I also think that the high-minded narrative that Facebook is giving to the product, like the narrative on the we're fixing it ads from earlier this year, is a little bit different from what they're telling would-be regulators and and their labor force about what their mission is. Like, it's not that they're inconsistent, but instead of putting out these ads saying, no, really, we were founded to connect people, they're putting out ads saying, your user experience on this platform is better than you think it is. Mm-hmm. Like, please remember all of the good times you have had on Facebook. You know, I re- remember the first several years of Facebook as a kind of major public platform when they had a lot of basic user interface overhauls. And all of those followed the pattern that, you know, we're all very used to on the internet at this point of like, people complain, they don't like the new format, they want Facebook to go back to the way it was, Facebook won't do it, and then everybody, you know, just kind of gets over themselves. Matt absolutely has better like Facebook early adopter cred than I do, so I won't get into the details of like when you used to be able to user edit the wall and that kind of thing. But um. That's not the backlash that they have right now. The backlash they have right now is people realizing in a slower but ultimately worse way than people realize that Twitter is not a good experience. People are realizing, <laughs> like, actually, it is not pleasant to spend a lot of time on Facebook. It is not pleasant to, like, get involved in these flame wars with your friend's uncle about whether or not it's fair to call a tweet from a reporter that misstated the number of protesters outside the rally fake news or not. Like, it is just not what people logged on for. And that is the serious long term danger for Facebook. And that's what the real disaster scenario for them is. It's not that regulators step in and say you should stop fomenting genocide. It's that people realize that this isn't fun anymore and And law off. Wait, wait, wait. We desperately need to, to take a break because I think there's some nuance to this. Support for The Weeds comes from Not Another Politics podcast from the Harris School of Public Policy. Trying to keep up with the political news cycle in 2023 can sometimes feel like staring into a black hole of information, where hundreds of thousands of opinions and facts get sucked in and distorted. We know it's a lot, even if you're listening to The Weeds every week. You all know, in order for the average person to stay capital I informed, it can help to find and listen to sources who are working to cut through the noise and offer perspectives that go beyond the headlines. Not Another Politics Podcast tries to do just that. It was launched and produced by the University of Chicago Harris School of Public Policy. It's not a pundits and politicians podcast. Rather, it takes a research and data approach to analyzing hot button issues. They cover a wide variety of topics in their episodes, but here are just a few that you can listen to right now. Whether or not ousting incumbents improves the economy, the extent to which white Americans favor white politicians, and what happens when Fox News viewers tune into CNN instead for a month. You can listen and subscribe today at harris.uchicago.edu slash nap. That's N-A-P-P. Support for The Weeds comes from Burrow. I love hosting people, so I know that having family or friends stay the night might seem like a great idea until you find yourself scrambling for extra cushions. Or worse, scrounging up an air mattress only to realize it has a hole in it. Well, you won't need to worry about any of that with Burrow's new Shift Sleeper Sofa. Burrow's new Shift Sleeper Sofa can make your guests feel at home. 
It's an everyday sofa that easily converts into a queen-size bed that they say comfortably sleeps two people. The Shift Sleeper Sofa has layers of memory foam, therapeutic comfort foam, and a supportive core foam to provide an amazing night's sleep for your guests. And like all of Burroughs Furniture, it's a breeze to get in your home with a painless online shopping experience and free shipping to your door. You can check out Burroughs' new Shift Sleeper Sofa and all their furniture at burrow.com slash weeds and get 15% off your Burrow order when you do. That's burrow.com slash weeds for 15% off your Burrow purchase. Burrow.com slash weeds. Last week, less noteworthy, I guess, than this New York Times investigation, but I think in some ways more important. There was a study at the um, Journal of, of Social and Clinical Psychology. It was done by researchers at the University of Pennsylvania, and they tried to take an experimental approach to questions about Facebook use and mental health because there's a lot of observational studies indicating that Facebook use is bad for people's mental health. But thanks to iPhone's new uh, screen time checking features, they can actually test people's compliance with these orders. And they showed that if you make people limit their social media use to no more than 30 minutes a day, two things happen. One is that they say they would really like to use it more, right? Like they say that they would pay money to get out of this constraint, but also their self-reported levels of well-being increase and their self-reported levels of depression decline. Right. And I think this is something like I really think the people who work in this industry need to think hard to themselves and need to like honestly like stop going to these internal town halls and these these things for employee dissent and like really reflect on what the core business that they are in is here. Right. Because it's like I enjoy the occasional outing to a casino to gamble, right? Like, I think it's fine. But I would never, never, ever suggest that a person with, like, actual options in their life go work as an architect helping to design casinos. Because the way you make money there is not by Matt every few years having a little bit of fun in Las Vegas for two days. It's by – trapping compulsive gamblers, right? And like this is what these studies of Facebook are showing, right? That it's addiction-type behavior. Right. That the people enjoy doing it more. You're in the moment. You want to keep scrolling. You want to comment. You want to like. You want to click the links, blah, blah, blah. But when people look back and they say, okay, was this a good use of my time? Or would I be happier in life if I exercised a little more, slept a little more, read books a little more, and Facebooked a little less? They are better off Facebooking less. And I just don't see any way out of that bind. You know what I mean? Like if you are working in the company, like it's integral to the model there that it is going to try to get you to say you're going to check it quickly during a little bit of downtime, but then keep you engaged. And everything else that's bad that happens like is bad, right? Like if as a downside of a little screw up at work, there's a genocide in Myanmar, like you have a real problem. <laughs> and like, you know, I, I'm always struck by Mark Zuckerberg saying he lost sleep over that because I like how much sleep, like it, it's really bad. But then there's also the question of like, what, like what is the, the business that you're doing? You know, like 
an airplane crashed, a 737 MAX recently, and, and people died. And that's a horrible tragedy. Uh, but if you work at Boeing and you're like, we make airplanes for a living, like the bad thing is that sometimes the planes crash. The good thing is that like people travel the world. And so if you work on making the planes better, like they will crash less, which is good. But also you'll make more money, right? Like it's very incentive compatible. And I just think Facebook – isn't yeah. like a world in which people spend tons and tons and tons and tons of time on Facebook is just not good, even if all these other problems were solved. It's interesting. I think your casino reference is actually really good because um, one of my favorite films is the film Casino, for which Sharon Stone was robbed of an Oscar. Ah, yes. But it goes into the idea of how you keep people in. Right. And right. it talks a, a little bit about things like, for instance, if you're a whale, like a high-level gambler, right. and you win one day, they will do literally everything they can to keep you from leaving. They'll, like, comp everything for you or send you to a show and just be like, you know, if you just stay, like, two more nights, we'll do all of these nice things and you eventually will lose money. And I think of that with things like if you do not go on Facebook for a little while, you will get an email that's like, hey – Here's what's been happening on Facebook while you haven't been over here. And just the notion, like, I recently saw a massage therapist, and they noticed they're like, do you see that your thumb is, like, trapped in scroll? Uh, You got got Twitter thumb? I've got Twitter thumb. (laughs) But just the addictive nature of the fact that you could scroll through Facebook forever. And, I mean, it's similar with Twitter. It's similar with Instagram. But just how these entities have been created to have this addictiveness, going off also your reference of Boeing's, you know, if planes work, people get to travel. If Facebook works, what do you get? Continuing to take this casino reference, because I think it's instructive, the weird thing about going to a casino is going to a casino before you're of legal age to gamble. Mm -hmm. Like, I went to Vegas with my family for a couple of days when I was 17, Mm -hmm. and it's not just that you can't do anything. It's that because the entire architecture of the place is designed to push people to gamble, people who are not of legal age to gamble, can't step off the path, basically. Like, you can't stay in the middle of the lobby without a casino employee going, I'm sorry you can't be here, because it is impossible not to come face-to-face with the thing you're not legally allowed to do. That is an awkward experience, but it is something that casinos have taken very seriously because there is a law that is in place that restricts this behavior because it is addictive and destructive that, you know, makes it impossible for teenagers to spend all of their time in Vegas gambling away their parents' life savings. The weird hypertrophy of employee choice here that we're talking about, the world in which, you know, it is on Facebook employees to figure out if they want to be using their labor to help their company do this, is a function of employees are the ones who have a meaningful check on the company right now. It's like it's this weird, you know, post-labor union, like – Highly skilled employees are the only ones who have a level of power here because we know from this time story that, you know, attempts at government oversight were stymied by, like, Chuck Schumer's, whose daughter works at Facebook. Right. There's a lot of belief that because people are employed by these companies that any other external check on them is bad because it's going to hurt the people who work at the companies. So the people who work at the companies are the only ones who are in a position. But I also think, like, I believe in in the role of government regulation in, in life, and, and we should talk about that. But I also do think, I mean, 
it's utopian to think that the government is ever going to put rules in place that make every company be good all the time. It is actually necessary that people, both in their capacity as executives and in their capacity as skilled workers, exercise some kind of moral judgment. And I mean, I think if you look at the Chan Zuckerberg initiative, a lot of money goes into that, right? I mean, they're not kidding around. It's not just like pennies out of Mark Zuckerberg's pockets. It's pretty good ideas, you know? Like, it's pretty thoughtful stuff. They're smart. Priscilla and Mark Zuckerberg, smart people. They got smart people working for them. I think they want to make the world a better place. At a minimum, I think they want people to think of them as people who are making the world a better place. And that's all great. But like, you have to take responsibility for that in the main thing that you do, right? I mean, no matter what they do with that charity, the main way Mark Zuckerberg impacts the world is by founding and operating Facebook. And like, to be honest, like, are they operating Facebook in a way that is of broad benefit to society? And like, they're not. And, you know, if you are number two, number three, number four, down to like, just some guy who works on user interface design. Like, I I won't condemn you if you're, you know, stealing bread to save your starving family. But I feel like if you can get hired at Facebook, you can get hired someplace else is a pretty good rule of thumb. And like, you know, just got to think about like what you want to do with your life, right? I mean, there was this this really famous and it, it always strikes me um, story about the early days of Apple when they were trying to recruit an executive from Pepsi to come over and be like adult supervision at a young technology company. And Steve Jobs says to the Pepsi guy, like, do you want to change the world or do you want to sell people sugary water for the rest of your life, right? And I think that kind of pitch is – compelling to people. And then the question is, in a more technologically adept world, like, isn't Facebook just at best the selling of sugary water to people when there are like bigger, bigger things you could do out there? So something I want to get into, one is kind of the government angle, because Ah, I think the government. We do talk about policy sometimes. Occasionally. So uh, I'm looking at this CBS News interview uh, between CBS This Morning co-host Nora O'Donnell talking to Sheryl Sandberg. One part is uh, O'Donnell asks, I don't have to remind you about when you hired uh, this firm in 2011 to get misleading and negative stories about Google into mainstream media outlets and then apologize when you were caught. Did you learn anything from that episode? And Sandberg's response was like, "We, I think we should have learned to be more careful and does not notably say that they did learn that. But one of the other questions is um, a group of senators Thursday asked the Justice Department to expand their ongoing investigations into Facebook to include claims that the company retaliated against critics. Will you cooperate in that investigation? And Sandberg says, I mean, I don't know what that investigation is, but we cooperate fully in any investigation by the government, from any government. We've had many. We will always cooperate. We'll always cooperate fully. And I think that that gets at something. Now, if we remember this summer, um, Mark Zuckerberg sat before a Senate panel and It did not go particularly well, but it didn't really go well for the senators, not so much for Mark Zuckerberg, because I think that the issue here is, you know, when Mark Zuckerberg or Sheryl Sandberg or any of the kind of tech people appear before Senate, they are not appearing before the people who know the most about what it is that they do. And so you had Ted Cruz railing on about Diamond and Silk, and I believe you had like one mention of the Rohingya and of like real problems here and no real conversation about like how the inner workings of this business 
operates and, you know, the use of, you know, privacy violations and issues like that, because the senators are reflecting what they have been told about these particular businesses. And what people apparently told Ted Cruz is that we are really worried that Facebook was mean to these two ladies whose videos we watch sometimes. And so if Facebook were facing down a panel of like a bunch of people in their late 20s who are extremely adept at Facebook, having been on it, you know, I'm 31 and Facebook launched when I was in high school. And I remember like getting my college email and being like, yeah, I can now get on Facebook. <laughs> and it, it was a, it was a great time, Dara. We were all very young. Um, but, you know, they were not talking to an audience of people who understand Facebook and moreover have a better concept of Facebook's purpose. And, you know, they were talking to people who knew that this was a problem but didn't think it was a problem for them Mm -hmm. or a problem that they needed to get involved in. And so I think, like, the idea of, you know, what would the government do? It's like we're we're not talking about, like, a government that understands Facebook. We're talking about a government that understands that some people have a problem with Facebook. I mean, I think, you know, some of also what was happening there, though, is that there's been this big campaign of conservative ref working with regard to these organizations, right, which is – I'm going to just be blunt about this. You can be, quote unquote, fair to conservative media sites or you can be committed to accuracy. And there was like a hard choice, you know what I mean, that you have to make. Like the line between fake news and Fox News is incredibly thin. And like what Republican Party senators want with their actions is – a news environment that is full of lies. You know, like that that's what Fox does, that's what Sinclair does, that's what they do. And that's tough. It's a tough situation for anybody. But like every editor of every newspaper in America, of every broadcast news channel deals with this. You know what I mean? Like you can make a good faith effort to report news. And if you do that, you will take shit constantly from the Republican Party, right? Like when Donald Trump says he's against, quote unquote, fake news, he means Lester Holt's nightly news show on NBC. He right? does not mean like Macedonian right. teenagers creating fake stories. And so about what the Pope. Facebook wants is for Republican Party politicians to like them, right? And that's fine as an objective. But what that means as a media channel, Republican Party politicians will like you, not if some of your content is bullshit propaganda, but if all of it is, right? Like their ideal is Fox News. And like, again, that is fine, right? But like you have to – again, I I, I beg you if you work at Facebook, right? Like if Mark Zuckerberg does not tell you I am going to make a hard choice that I don't care how much I get yelled at by conservative politicians. But again, keeping in mind that your top lobbyist at your company is a Republican Party operative, right? Like look at Fox News and internalize in your bones. This is what your top lobbyist wants your company to look like. Look at your most brainwashed great uncle. Like that's what they want to do. And like You can do that if you want. Like if you want to say like Fox News and it's a couple hundred thousand people, we need an audience of billions to be propagandized like that, then by all means like collaborate with this strategy. But like there is nobody who is making a good faith effort to inform their audience who is not getting yelled at by Ted Cruz. Like there's no way around that. Like all of conservative media is total garbage. So this – the problem with this though is – Getting back to the user experience thing, like if I'm Facebook, I'm looking at what happened to the NFL and going, 
this thing that a lot of people enjoy, substantial numbers of them can be turned off by politicians saying this thing is on the wrong side in the culture wars. So I think that it's not just a consideration of, you know, getting conservative politicians mad at them. It's a consideration of is Facebook at risk of losing 65-year-old-plus white people because conservative politicians decide to get super invested in the idea well, that mean, you should spend less opposite, time on right? Facebook. I mean, they've, they've thrown in with the Republicans, and the question is, is like, will decent people start shunning so, this enterprise? Something like, that's interesting, though, is I think that that NFL example is a good one, but not for maybe the way you might think. Because the trick that the NFL recognized over the last, say, six months is that if you just keep on going and don't really change anything, eventually people will kind of forget why they were mad at you. It turns out that people who were mad at the NFL maybe weren't mad at the NFL because of how they handled civil disobedience, but also because offense in the NFL last year was at, like, record lows. And thanks to the OG Patrick Mahomes quarterback, the Kansas City Chiefs, and teams like that, offense is now off the charts and everybody scores all the time. And it turns out ratings have been right back up to numbers that they haven't reached since like 2013, 2014. And so Roger Goodell, who has managed to be both like incredibly hated while heading up the NFL and doing a very good job and making millions and millions and millions of dollars is basically like, it turns out that if you are in the midst of a crisis, the best thing to do is just to not really change anything and just keep doing whatever it is you're doing. And I think with Facebook, I think that they might also look at the NFL and think, oh, people are mad at us right now. We should just not really change anything and occasionally pay lip service to how maybe we made some mistakes and we might have to go before the Senate a couple of times and we'll just keep saying things about we made mistakes, but we're going to make it right and then change absolutely nothing and everyone will forget about it. Let's take our second break and return. We all need an upgrade every once in a while, whether it's that outdated car in your garage or that cell phone that you bought over three years ago. It's good to have the best technology around. And great news, because now you can have the most advanced technology in the privacy of your own home. The Numi 2.0 is Kohler's most advanced toilet to date, with a sculptural design that elevates it beyond a household object. The smart toilet combines unmatched aesthetics with cutting-edge technology to bring you the finest in personal comfort and cleansing. It offers personalized settings that let you fine-tune every option to your exact preferences. From ambient-colored lighting and a built-in audio speaker system to the heated seat with hands-free opening and closing. Plus, the Numi 2.0 comes equipped with Power Saver Mode for energy efficiency and emergency flush for power outages, so you don't have to worry about wasted energy. Connecting you to an oasis of cleanliness and comfort, the Numi 2.0 can revolutionize your bathroom, making it more than a toilet. It's a work of art. Learn more at Kohler.com. Support for this episode comes from Viator. Sure, a good souvenir is always fun, but it's the experiences that people love the most about traveling. When you get back home, that t-shirt might fade and that snow globe might break, but it's those once-in-a-lifetime memories that will last. Viator is a website and app where you can book travel experiences like architectural sightseeing, snorkeling excursions, sunset cruises, and so much more. With Viator, you can reserve everything from simple tours to thrilling adventures with over 300,000 bookable experiences in 190 countries. Whether you're a foodie, a history buff, or an adrenaline junkie, there's something for everyone. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews. 
so you can have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. When you book a travel experience with Viator, there's always flexibility and support with free cancellation, payment options, and 24-7 service. Make memories that will last forever with Viator. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. So what should be done? Who has constructive ideas? I mean, I think that it might be helpful to just lower the bar for what, you know, a good government response to stuff would look like. You know, I I don't require regulation. I don't even require smarter questions getting asked at Senate hearings. I would be entirely okay with a world in which it was not assumed by default that what is good for major tech companies is good for America and good for the world, right? right? Like the other kind of big tech company story that's been in the news this week has been the, you know, Amazon officially choosing the New York metro area and the D.C. metro area as like the two quote unquote winners of its <laughs> HQ2 competition. And in the aftermath of that, discoveries of just what was promised by the New York metro area and the D.C. metro area uh, or in the second case, the state of Virginia, and what other cities were trying to promise offers incentives to get Amazon to move there. And a lot of it's real bad, folks. Like, these are ostensibly progressive city and state governments in a lot of cases, bending over backwards to, in the case of New York, you know, scrap an affordable housing project and allow Amazon to instead build on that land. In the case of, you know, the state of Virginia, like putting into the contract that any FOIA request about the process of getting Amazon to come to Virginia, they'll give Amazon essentially prior restraint on. They'll give them the heads up that this is coming. There's a lot that could be said about the, you know, general effort to use tax incentives, you know, for the purpose of economic development. But even above and beyond that, the various things, and there's a delightfully ludicrous article from BuzzFeed running down what was known of the proposals from cities that didn't win. And everything from Atlanta trying to offer an extra car on its subway trains that was just for Amazon to uh, Columbus. Columbus promised to have less murders. Columbus Columbus promised to create a task force to look into its quote-unquote unacceptable murder rate, which says so much about who it is that gets to determine when a murder rate is unacceptable. Is it the people being murdered or the communities where those murders are happening? No, it's the company that might have employees move to it. I'm going to guess a part of the city where murders aren't happening that much, but where it might look bad to have a city with a high murder rate. There are just so many kind of goodie bags being promised that Strike Me is only making sense if you've assumed that literally anything that is good for Amazon is good for your city as well. And maybe if we just step back from that assumption a teeny bit, whether in the case of Amazon or Facebook or of the other kind of major tech companies that have guaranteed that America is kind of the center of 21st century economic activity in this regard— 
we might be able to have a slightly saner conversation about trade-offs rather than just assuming that there literally is no trade-off that could possibly be too great. Well, I think it's actually kind of similar, you know, if you follow anything about the Olympics, there have been a number of cities that have just been like, it's just literally not worth it. It would cost us billions of right. dollars to do. And, you know, there's the No LA campaign regarding the Los Angeles Olympics. And I think that the Olympics now is kind of where I think that there's a chance like Amazon and companies like that might be within the next, I'd say, like five to ten years. There have been a bunch of pieces written recently from people in Seattle who are like, you know, it really isn't like – it's not worth it. Whatever you're attempting to do and offering, you know, one, maybe you should fix your crime rate before anyone shows up for just the reasons of that's what the job of the government is to do. But I think that this idea that, you know, as you said, that like anything that's good for Amazon is good for your city or anything that brings attention to your city is inherently good. I think that that's something that we need to shift away from. And I think that It's interesting to see how this goes against party because I think a lot of conservatives were kind of dunking on like, oh, you know, all these liberal cities that all hate capitalism were offering all this stuff to all these companies. And I'm like, you mean like Foxconn? Because that we remember that in Wisconsin, you know, Scott Walker was basically willing to just hand over the state of Wisconsin to this company that was like, oh, we'll give you thousands of jobs. And that turns out that's not what happened at all. But, you know, this goes across party, this idea that there's like this benevolent Willy Wonka-esque company that will come and save you from something. And I think it's interesting how it's it's couched in this way of like, oh, you know, we're creating this optimal business environment. A lot of cities have kind of like business districts and uh-huh. this idea that like if we just give these companies these things, they'll do these things that will be good for us eventually. And I think we need to start backing away from that. As quickly as we can. I mean, I'm a little more b- thing, bullish uh, on this HQ too. But <laughs> I mean, what strikes me is the jump from building an environment that's good for business to yes. building an environment that is good for a very specific incumbent business, right? Yes. Like the idea of economic activity being good, like broadly, is supposed to be that, you know, the free market will result in the rise of you know, companies that are well suited to, you know, to, to giving customers what they want and companies can scale easily and you can start a business and, you know, the, building a, an environment for business broadly means building an environment where any given business can thrive. And instead of creating like good soil and sun and water so that any plant that is hardy enough can kind of thrive there. We're turning massive incumbent companies into these hothouse flowers and saying, okay, we're going to give you exactly these very specific conditions that you say you need as if you couldn't survive in any conditions less than that. They're not orchids. They are not actually orchids. Right. We are treating them like orchids. (laughs) Okay. But I I, I want to go back to to Facebook and the question of, of regulation. You know, there's a lot of sort of buzz in the uh, sort of antitrust space around big technology companies. I don't think that's actually super applicable to what Facebook is is doing. But I'm attracted to an idea that I don't see discussed a lot in the policy space, but which is just maybe there should be a tax on social network user base size, right? And it could be a progressive – Tax where like your first 10 million users 
are free and then up to 100 million users you got to pay 50 cents and then you know up to 200 million it's like 3 bucks or, or or whatever it is just something that would moderately discourage growth of these mm-hmm. kinds of companies and the very most successful ones like like Facebook monetizes at a high rate and so it would still be big but it would have a huge you know tax bill which like is fine but then also the marginal customer they might actually not want. You know what I mean? So that people who were like not that enthusiastic about Facebook, who were not high-level Facebook users, who who don't really like the platform. The people who are getting the email yeah, notifications. That it, like, that it wouldn't back. make that much sense to try that hard to recruit them. And then you would have a pool of people who were not on Facebook and who could be the audience for other things, right? And, and just create more of, a, of an ecosystem. Because I think a lot of the dysfunctionality of Facebook as a media enterprise stems from the ambition to be literally universal, right? That they have all this surus about fake news, right? But like the basic issue is that they could hire people to like make there not be fake news on Facebook and it would not be that challenging. But like every time I, I say this, I say it's easy. They'd be like, you don't understand how how hard this is as like a, a computer science problem. But like keeping the bathrooms at the Facebook office clean is like an unsolvable computer science problem. So they hire fucking janitors, you know, like you can get people to be like, no, that's wrong. Take the article down. The problem is some people wouldn't like it. Right? Like, no matter what choice you made, you could hire the people I approve of, or you could hire the people Ted Cruz approves of. But whatever you do, some people are going to be like, this sucks. But like, that's fine. Like, that's how business works. You know, like when Starbucks is formulating its coffee, they have to decide what the coffee is going to taste like. And they try their best to make a coffee that a lot of people will like, but some people don't like it, right? And like there's also Pete's Coffee, like there's lots of independent coffee shops. And like that's just life, man. And if you try to insist that like, no, we need like this one-stop shop that like everybody is going to buy our shoes, Like, it doesn't work, right? But the economics of network effects let them have that aspiration. And you could, I think, do something with taxation to just, like, basically make make that aspiration to universalism impossible. And I think that might might help us all out. Doesn't that increase the filter bubble problem, though? If you aren't aren't you pointing to a world where there is a conservative equivalent to Facebook that, you know, where – No, Facebook is the conservative one, I think. I mean, given the history of alternative institutions getting built over – like especially on the internet over the last 20 years, I think it's much more likely that conservatives will say we need a conservative alternative to Facebook. You should go to this site instead. Like doesn't that just result in the – the further kind of gabification of things where there are spaces where there are absolutely no truth checks being made, where conspiracy theories can flourish, where hate speech can flourish. And like, I'm not sure that that results in a healthier environment, like public. But wait, I, I really do want to push back on this though, because like Kevin Roos's daily tweets showing what's the top performing content on Facebook on political stories, like it's always no, Fox I, News the, stuff, Ben Shapiro stuff. Like Facebook is the conservative Facebook. Like, I, I'm we, not. I, I'm not disagreeing. Yeah. Like, with that characterization, I just think that a world in which there is a tax on social network size sure. and therefore there is a discouragement of growth, like you are much more likely to see conservative politicians saying. 
everybody, I'm getting off Facebook and going to this oh, thing yeah. instead. Look, I the, agree the, with that. Like the, 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 the conservative movement in America is horrible and repulsive. The, and like if they <laughs> form institutions, they will be awful. The, the, but okay. like that's that's just life. You know what I mean? Like I don't I don't think we should stop them. You know what I mean? Like as as much as I may dislike, you know, Fox News, like it's fine. The great thing about Fox News is that most people don't watch it. Well, the funny the thing that's interesting— The president and, watches it all the time, though, and this is how we have this entire, well, like— He's not, what, like, my favorite president. So <laughs> so one of the funny things, though, is that something I've noticed among conservatives, and I think that there's been an argument um, among and within the conservative movement about this, is it's like, okay, you know, we need to, like, break up Facebook. We need to do something about this. And then you see, you know, Dara, you brought up Gab. But mm-hmm. one of my favorite things is that Gab— is frequently on Twitter and frequently starting fights on Twitter because even Gab knows that Twitter is a far better product than Gab because Gab does not work and is full of trash. And I think that that's one of those moments in which hilariously the market does work because when these entities have attempted to start, you know, there was a call for like, okay, we need our own search engine, you know, because Google is mean. And so people attempted to start it and it doesn't work and no one likes it and no one uses it. And it's interesting to see that like the reason why you're hearing from conservatives who are very concerned about Facebook and Twitter is that they recognize that Facebook and Twitter, one, are so massive, like an alternative would be just for themselves, but also they they do in fact work. Now, what the work means in these contexts is up for a lot of debate, but it is interesting how the call for, you know, why don't you find an alternative is because the alternatives have not been as good and people have not chosen them. So this is actually making me think much more positively of Facebook than I did 10 minutes ago because, like, I don't particularly care that Gab doesn't have the user growth that it might like because Gab had a singular responsibility in the killing of a bunch of old Jews a few weeks ago. Like, this week, a young man in D.C. got arrested on gun charges after several relatives kind of flagged to police that they were concerned that he was had been involved in that shooting or was planning something else. His brother had committed suicide the day of the Tree of Life shooting. There role in that ecosystem has been kind of plumbed. And it seems very plausible that there are actual hate crimes that might not have happened if people had not had a space in which they were egging each other on and that felt absolutely no responsibility for it. Like, Mark Zuckerberg losing sleep over the genocide of the Rohingya is, like, not a sufficient response. But I kind of prefer that to a world in which the CEO doesn't lose sleep Yeah, but I mean, but like, did they do anything about it? That's like, that's... No, I mean, right. That is a good, like, a good point. But I don't know, man. I'm not super okay with a world where we're letting a thousand flowers bloom and some of those flowers, like, just go and kill people. I mean, I'm not okay (laughs) with that either. I just, like, I feel that there's this unique problem with Facebook sort of sitting in the middle of the room. Soaking up so much oxygen, so much attention, so much talent, playing both sides of the aisle, having like literally a Republican Party operative run its public policy division while also constantly apologizing to conservatives for being biased to liberals because they're playing their own 
employees. You know, like it's a it's a weird kind of thing. And like we have readers. Like I I I never get emails from like people who produce primetime Fox News shows saying like, Matt, I love the weeds, but why are you so mean about, you know, Sean Hannity? Because like they know why I'm so mean about Sean Hannity. Um, I would suspect it's because producers of Fox primetime shows probably don't listen to the weeds. Right, but, but, I mean, but that's what I mean. You know what I mean? But like they're in a different situation. Like Facebook is tapping mainstream audience like and everybody will I think rightly maybe send me emails about our weeds Facebook group but like this is the it's so big it's like we are all wrapped up in this system where like you cannot exist in the media sphere without engaging with Facebook even as Facebook is like free reign for Russian propaganda and you know decides like they want to only let you read uh, Ben Shapiro content and, and like all kinds of nutty stuff like that. And like, you know, Twitter is like awful in its own way, but it's relatively small, you know, and, and like not small, small, but like relatively small. Like yeah. most people are not on Twitter all day. And that to me makes it like fundamentally not benign, but like OK. You know, there's like just a lot of weird stuff happens in the world, but Facebook like controls everything. I don't know. I I think that Twitter, much like Fox News, like when not a lot of people are, you know, power users of it, but one of those power users is the president of the United States. Like that definitely is, indicates a level of importance that is disproportionate to its market size. Uh, this does strike me as a good opportunity to tell people that a we are doing another Ask Weeds Anything, and b you do not in fact need to be on Facebook to participate in. This oh one. yes, exactly. Yeah, there yeah. will be another. Ask Weeds Anything uh, episode as part of our upcoming holiday content. Uh, there is a thread about it in the Weeds Facebook group where you are welcome to leave a suggestion, but you can also email us at weeds at vox.com and it will be in the show notes as well. We are reading your emails. We are looking forward to your questions. Uh, we will, we probably won't answer them all. We probably won't answer them all. It's uh, for, for we'll the record, the it's going to be me, Matt, and Sarah. So if you have questions for, for Jane, uh, too bad because she's doing something else super exciting instead. Yes, I am speaking to athletes at Amherst about something. Apparently, I'm I'm speaking about like the changing nature of media, but I'm cool. just I'm just going to talk about football the whole time. That sounds good. Have you been to Amherst before? I have not. I've been to the University of Amherst, but this is at Amherst College, and I am not actually going to talk about football. All A the lot time, of students and alumni the there recommend this one burrito place in town, but it's actually disgusting. <laughs> So apologies oh to all Amherst alums. Uh, but that burrito place is gross. And with that. <laughs> so, okay. Don't get Mexican food in Western Massachusetts. Do listen to the weeds. It's delightful. Do join our Facebook group because Facebook, it's super benign. Or email us because that is also cool. We want to thank all of you out there for listening. Thanks to our sponsors. Thanks to our producer, Griffin Tanner. And really do send us questions through whatever your favorite means is. I love doing these, these Ask Weeds Anything shows, but it, it all hinges on the quality of the participation from viewers like you. When you surround yourself with the best tech, that's an instant level up. So shouldn't you level up in every room of your house? The Numi 2.0 is Kohler's most advanced toilet to date, with a sculptural design that elevates it beyond a household object, and cutting-edge technology to bring you the finest in personal comfort and cleansing. 
It offers personalized settings to match your exact preferences, from ambient colored lighting and a built-in audio speaker system to the heated seat with hands-free opening and closing. It's more than a toilet. It's a work of art. Learn more at Kohler.com.